Hi, and welcome to Alderpod number 11. This is chapter 9 of the Alders Gate, Remembrance. Brick Smithson awoke to a most unwelcome shove, his banded shoulder erupting into pain. He gasped and turned over, face down in the rough-spun bedroll he'd been given for the last two days. He tried to right himself, but without the good use of his arm and shoulder, finding balance was hardly conceivable. It was just as he was craning his neck to get a better view of his assailant. He couldn't imagine it was Sir Gowan, but he couldn't be sure, when he was kicked swiftly in the ass. A bright chuckle followed, then, "'Get to your feet, soldier!' It was Din. Gasping for breath, his head spinning with pain and an acute lack of sleep, Gowan was a consummate snorer. Brick turned around. Sir Din was grinning above him, her eyes merry behind her dark spectacles. "'What are you gaping at?' she asked, raising one eyebrow. Brick stammered, "'I'm hurt. I've been shot.' "'So has Sir Kelper, Weller, and George, and Yuri, "'and they've been drilling with everyone else, "'participating with everyone else, "'in fact, contributing significantly "'to the daily doings of our little posse here.' "'She smirked. "'You, on the other hand, Brickley Smithson, "'have done nothing but sit on that flat arse of yours, "'sulking and complaining, "'eating our food and drinking our whiskey. "'You're a right little leech. "'But I... "'You will walk yourself out of this tent, and you will take your guns. "'You will do whatever you have to secure that shoulder of yours, "'and you will prove to me, beyond a shadow of a doubt, "'that enlisting you among us was not the stupidest thing I have ever done,' "'continued the woman, her voice taking on a rather sinister tone now. "'Her last words were tinged with a near growl. "'Do you understand me?' "'Yes,' said Brick, because it was all he could think to say. "'In all truth, Sir Din terrified him.' And as painful as his arm had been the last two days, she was right. She lowered her voice. You've got to understand me, Brickley, she said. These men and women, they are mine. I have shaped them. I have trained them. One loose cog in the mechanism and people die. We all go through hardships. We all lose people and feel our hearts squeeze to the point of despair over it. But we move on. We have to. "'because we are the order of the asp, "'and by gods, if we don't do our job, "'no one else will, "'and the world would be a much darker place.'" Brick managed to stand, but had to jerk quickly to the left to keep his balance. The jarring movement caused him to wrench his arm, and he inhaled quickly as pain shot down to his hand. Tears sprung to his eyes, though he did all he could to keep them at bay. He decided that it wasn't a good idea to cry in front of someone like Sir Din. Now, get yourself together and report to Sir Renman. He'll tie that arm up for you well enough so you can shoot and spar with the rest of them. In the swirl of her camel-colored duster, she left the tent. Staring after the tent flap a moment, Brick angrily wiped tears from his eyes. Surely everyone in the camp had heard that exchange. And he had cowered like a little child. What did she expect out of him anyway? How was he supposed to cope with a life-threatening injury and the knowledge that his father— his only family in the world was dead. He didn't want to face them, but he had no choice. It had been two days since he'd been shot, and though he couldn't be certain two full nights, Gowan had explained that they had not moved the camp in order to give Sir Renman time to prepare the dead, two total, who'd given their lives for the rest of the order. Though Gowan had admitted himself he would have preferred to stay on the oak's heels, 
their losses had been too heavy. By Sir Brentley's calculations, the oak were still moving slowly with all their human cargo, and resting would give them the advantage in the long run. Running a hand through his now greasy hair, Brick took a deep breath and walked through the tent flap, squinting immediately as he entered the sunlight. In the daytime, the camp was not nearly as haunting and mysterious as it had been upon waking the first time. The Aspas had nestled between two craggy hilltops littered with old limestone boulders and rocky outcrops. Little grew in the way of vegetation, save for a few gnarled old trees and short grasses. From what he had been told, they were some miles northwest of Vell, in the foothills of the territories before the mountains began. In the distance, he could see the mountains rising to the east, large, impenetrable, snow-capped, and heartbreakingly beautiful. Though he'd had a chance to stare at them yesterday, his head felt clearer today, and he gaped, open-mouthed again, at their grandeur. He imagined himself climbing up the slopes, surveying the world below like a god of old. "'Hey, Leech!' called a voice. Brick startled out of his staring and turned to his right. The ceremony is about to start. You don't want to miss it. It was, Brick realized, his brain making the connection with painfully slow progress. A girl. Ah, he said, pausing to correct her. My name is Brick. <laughs> Not anymore, she said with a quirk of her lip. She wasn't beautiful like Cora was beautiful. That was for certain. But her hair was the color of coal, and it hung in braids on either side of her heart-shaped face. Though her hair was dark, her skin, tan from the wind and snow, was surprisingly fair, freckled about the cheeks. She had gray eyes and thin brows that, though they were sparse, seemed not to have any difficulty lending a surprising amount of expression to her face. And she was tall, he saw, as tall, if not a little taller than he was, her body all long lines. Uh, was all Brick said. I'm Lark Starling, she said. Sir Gresham's page? Right, said Brick, though it made little difference. She grinned at him, her front teeth protruded slightly. Right, she said, nodding at him as if he were a little soft in the head. Over this way? She walked out ahead of him, and Brick could not help but notice the most remarkable way she fit into her leather breeches. To his knowledge, he'd never seen a woman in pants before. That is, save Sir Din, and she was far from comely. The outline of her shape made his stomach flutter, and though he tried to banish the thought from his mind, it seemed some other part of him had taken over at least momentarily. Lark turned around over her shoulder and beckoned him over. The rest of the knights were gathered at the edge of the camp in a circle, right at the base of the larger of the two hills. He could see a sea of wide-brimmed hats and dusters, their tails flapping in the wind. He made his way to the crowd, and one of the knights moved aside to let him see what was going on. It took Brick just a heartbeat to realize he was standing in the middle of a funeral. There were three graves and two bodies, each laid prostrate with their arms folded across their chests. Their faces were pale, and they had seen significant wounds. They had been cleaned up and presented as best as was possible in this harsh environment. Their hands clutched guns, their stiff fingers against the weapons that had failed to save their lives. "'These are the names of our comrades,' said the tall knight, who stood at the center of the circle near the bodies. This was Sir Renman. He was nearly as tall as Sir Gowan, but by no means as brawny. He bordered on emaciated, the bones in his face sharp, his cheeks sunken. He had a mop of untidy brown hair and wore a black hat with a silver buckle. Though he had a slight stoop to him, Brick guessed he was young yet, perhaps in his mid-thirties. It was in his eyes, that youth. They burned brightly, like coke in a forge. 
Brick then noticed Mesmer Gimbel was seated a few paces behind Sir Renman, his eyes closed in contemplation, and he wondered what in the gods' names he was doing there. But it was not time to ask questions. Renman continued, Sir Davis, properly Edmund Raleigh Davis. He was the son of the famed seaman Oral Wiley Davis, one of Emily Redding Jameson of the town of Idesvale in Queensland. He was sixty twenty-six years old, and had served with the Order of the Asp for six years, beginning as a page to Sir Gunter, and succeeding him upon his death. Davis was known for his shrewd wit and active imagination. He often sang songs to the company at night, when we were in need of cheer, songs he'd heard from his father, and that he'd collected in his childhood living by the sea. The youngest of six boys, he was sent to Queensland at the behest of his father to enlist in the Order of the Oak but found his skills more appreciated under the tutelage of Sir Gunter, and so became a page with us. We will remember him as Eddie, who never balked when given an order, who smiled at the face of death. Journey well, brother, to the other side. Renman then tossed a small leather pouch filled with something heavy on Davis's chest. It made a hollow thumping noise that made Brick feel a little ill. And here we have Elge, who was a dutiful page to Sir Gowan of Fenley. Rael Sunar was born at the border of the territories in Soderan to a continental man and a Soderan woman. The man, we do not know who he was for certain, paid for Elger's passage to Queensland at the age of fifteen to enlist with the Order of the Asp. His knowledge of Soderan culture and language were immensely helpful in solving border and trade disputes. He paused. Would any of the pages like to speak in memory of Elger? There was a shuffling of jackets, the sound of leather flapping in the breezes, and a young page emerged from the crowd. He looked to be Brick's age, if not a little older, and though he was not particularly tall, he was certainly lanky. His face was splattered with freckles, and his hair—his hat was off, hanging from a string around his neck like everyone else—was dark red, sticking up straight in the front. His was a friendly face, though rather somber at the moment. Brick recalled his name was Helter. I have something to say, Helder said, his voice husky with emotion. He cleared his throat and squinted in the direction over the mountains. Helder was my friend. He was brave, and he was smart. He died making sure that... He paused, looking straight at Brick and jut out his jaw, making sure that helpless individuals didn't die. He laid down his life for others, and he paid the price. A shiver went through Brick, and Helder looked away from him, he understood with a sick churn of his stomach what had happened to Elge. He had died trying to protect him and Mesmer. Elge wanted to be a knight, said Helter, and I hope in the hereafter he gets that chance. That was all Helter said. He nodded his head and emerged back into the crowd. He had not looked at Elge's body yet, but Brick did. Elge had dark hair like Brick, but his skin must have been darker. It was hard to tell through the pall of death, though. Though Renman had tried his best to obscure it, the wind blew the hair off of his head to reveal the gunshot wound at his temple, dark as death itself. We mourn the loss of our comrades, said Renman, his voice growing in strength, and we give their bodies back to the earth from which they came, back to the ground, back to the soil, so that they too in time will grow again. Renman tossed the second leather pouch down on Elge and looked to the, to the group. Despair is like a cancer, he said. It feeds on sorrow, it grows on hatred. Let not their deaths cling to you. 
they gave their lives willingly as we all will someday. So look on the faces of your fellow knights and pages and see in their eyes the spark of life. Hold it close to you. Keep it in your hearts. For with each passing of the sun, with each turn of the moons, we come one step closer to joining Sir Davis and Elge in their graves. He let the effect set in. Brick could feel his cheeks burning from the sun already. It was going to be a mighty hot day. The breeze that blew felt like the air from a forge. And for the time being, he had forgotten entirely about his arm. There is yet a third grave, Sir Redmond continued, dropping his voice, his sermon now finished. He gestured to the empty grave with his long, bony fingers. It is in the memory of those we saw die in Vell. Though one single grave could not do them justice, it is fitting that we do this. Would anyone like to speak of those in Vell? Mesmer's eyes shot open and Brick caught his glance. The scrawny boy watched Brick, his eyes round and pleading. Though every bit of sense told him he ought not to, that he was far from fit to give such a eulogy, he took a few hesitant steps forward. Brick caught at Mesmer's eye again and the boy nodded to him, smiling thinly. This is a good thing you're doing, the look said. You're doing right by everyone in Vell. Brick found himself in the center of the group, a few feet from Elge. His shoulder was hurting him again and his stomach was churning acid. He looked up at the weather-worn faces, all expecting him to say something. He recognized Sir Din and Sir Gowan, as well as his most recent acquaintance, Lark. He swallowed. What could he say? I'm from Vell, he said at last. He wanted to say more, but he had the distinct feeling he'd been kicked in the gut. A deep breath, and he continued. I don't... I ain't good at this sort of thing, he said. But seeing as Mesmer and me, and a handful of girls taken against their wills, all what might be left of Vell, I should say something. Brick reached his good hand across to his wounded shoulder, squeezing slightly. His muscle, a few inches down from the actual gunshot wound, twisted in response. I don't know any of you well, but I knew the people of Vell all my life, he said, his voice catching as he gasped in an attempt to stifle a sob. My dad was a good man. He worked hard. He died protecting what he knew to be important. I know he was no knight. He was just a blacksmith in a little town that even some maps forget, or so I hear. He trailed off, his vision blurring. His fa face felt flush. Willing the tears to stay in his eyes, he drew a quivering breath. I only hope me and Mesmer here do him, do them all proud. A hundred faces appeared in Brick's memory. Some he had loved, some he had resented, but he knew them all. Mr. Dawson the butcher, Mr. Helsinor the printer. He remembered Mrs. Cooper and all her boys, and countless others he'd known the eighteen years he'd been on the earth. Could they really be gone? Here, here, called Gowan's booming voice from the crowd and the rest of the knights chorused in response. Renman then called over a handful of knights, who began the process of burying the dead. Brick was glad the attention was off of him, and he seemed unable to quell his tears, for the time being, at least.
A turn later, Brick was sent to sparring with the other pages, under the tutelage of Sir Gresham. Gresham was a hulking man with hands big enough to strangle a horse, but he seemed to have a gentle way about him. Although Gresham was missing half of his lip, it looked like it had been an unfortunate run with a bullet or some kind of explosive. It bit a strange valley through his ruddy face, white against his black beard. "'That's it! That's good! Good, Anderson! Good!' Gresham said as he moved from pair to pair. Brick had been placed across from a blonde boy named Connor who was, conservatively, three years and a hundred pounds more than Brick. They were sparring with fists today, and though Brick had on many occasions found himself in a fistfight, this was something else together. Defense, said Gresham triumphantly. It's all about defense, about movement, almost like a dance. Good, good. Brick took a split second to glance toward Mesmer. He was worried for the little runt of a boy. How could they ever expect him to... Connor hit him in the side of the head with a crunch, and Brick was suddenly staring up at the fluffy clouds in the sky. His ears were ringing, and he tasted blood in his mouth. Not to say the least about his shoulder, which, in spite of Redmond's liberal application of salve and most attentive wrapping, was once again searing. Ah, uh, sorry, Connor said, and reached up to help Brick. Brick held back the desire to retch and grabbed Connor's hand. Clumsily, he got back to his feet again. What's this? asked Sir Gresham. He tilted his head up and narrowed his eyes at them. "'What's it look like?' replied Brick, rubbing his temple with his stronger hand. He'd had the wind knocked out of him. "'You will address me correctly, Leech,' Sir Gresham said, his typically merry face turning an odd shade of puce while he frowned. "'Er, sir,' began Brick, wincing at the use of the new nickname. "'You will address me correctly, Leech,' repeated the knight. You do not interrupt me, and first and foremost, I should say, you do not presume to address me in a sarcastic, ironic, or sardonic tone. Uh, if you ever respond to me in a tone like that again, you'll find yourself scooping horse shite for a fortnight, Gresham threatened. He loomed over Brick now, his hat casting the page's face in shadow. There was spittle on his lips, and at such a close range, Brick had an unpleasant proximity to his rather sour breath. Now! continued Gresham, taking a few steps back and pacing. I'd like to see you boys try it again. And Leech, keep your eyes on target this time, huh? Brick took a moment to gather himself and then inhaled deeply. He squared his shoulders as best he could, considering the injury, and held up his good fist. Sir? asked Connor, after putting up his hands and then lowering them. I don't think it's much fair, you know. Can't hardly do a thing with his arm being shot and all. Gresham frowned deeper into his beard, giving a look to Connor that was steeped in disappointment. But instead of lecturing, he turned to the group of sparrers, many of whom had stopped to listen to the knight harangue the new page. He asked, "'Can someone please enlighten Connor as to why such an exercise would be valuable?' It was Lark who piped up first. "'Chances are, if you're ever in a fistfight with an enemy,' she said, "'you'll have some kind of injury. It's better to learn in some ways with something of a handicap, isn't it?' You can learn to use a more varied attack, I think. There were some whispers among the pages, but Sir Gresham looked pleased. Well said, Lark. Now, in order to even the scores, let's say we make our own handicaps, then. Gresham then ordered the rest of the pages to do something to put them off balance. Some removed shoes, others tied their hands behind their backs. One or two were actually blindfolded in an attempt to impress the knight, but both boys ended up with significant punches to the gut, and it was agreed on the whole that blindness wasn't an altogether likely issue to befall a knight in a fistfight. 
Unfortunately, even with Connor hobbling around without a boot on one foot and therefore about two inches shorter on one side, not to mention forced to step on various sharp plants and jagged rocks, Brick could not best him. Once he'd come close, but he had tired too easily. Eventually he got lazy, and even though being punched certainly did hurt, after a while he discovered he'd grown rather used to it, and he had the distinct feeling that Connor was being easy on him. Just as well. When they finished, the pages were a dusty, musty, smelly, sweaty bunch, many of their faces sorting bruises, but nothing serious. Then it was time to leave. As the pages had been sparring, the rest of the knights had made quick work of the temporary refuge. Tents were packed and rolled up, put on horses, and draped with blankets. Fires were put out and smothered. The horses, who had for the most part dallied among the outskirts of the camp near a cluster of tender shoots of grass, were refitted with their various accoutrements. Bridles, stirrups, saddles, and lassos. Brick found Gowan tending to a dappled cream and gray-colored horse. The knight turned a curious green-eyed glance to the page and smiled. "'You've got a black eye,' he observed. Uh, "'Yes, sir,' Brick said, touching the swollen lid of his eye thoughtfully. "'Well, give it a few days and you'll be good as new,' replied the knight. He was his usual gregarious self, but there was a lingering note in his voice, Brick noticed, a trailing off. Gowan cleared his throat. <clears> "'This is your, your horse, by the way.' Brick looked at the dappled mare. He was sure it was a mare now, and back to Gowan. "'My horse?' "'Well, it was Elges,' continued Gowan, patting the horse on the rump. Her name's G. She's a good, strong girl. You've ridden before. A bit, yeah, said Brick, but not much. Most times I worked on shoeing them. You'll be helpful in that respect, too. But G's a good girl, and easy to ride. She'll do well for you. Reaching up to stroke her soft nose, Brick found he was smiling rather giddily. His own horse? Gods, he'd never imagined that. His father had owned two block-headed mules he had used to pull coke and coal up from Garmentown on occasion, as well as to deliver particularly unwieldy projects, such as wrought-iron fences and amended cartwheels. But they were more trouble than they were worth, and of such a dim intelligence that was all a wonder they managed to get back from their long trips at all. <laughs> Thanks, Sir Gowan, he said after a moment. But Gowan had walked away, and had not heard him, to go tend to his own horse. At last they mounted and prepared to go, the camp looked bare to Brick as he looked over his shoulder. But the world lay ahead of him. Mountains and valleys, peaks and pinnacles, towns and people. All of a sort he had never even imagined. Where are we going? Brick asked as he trotted up his horse to Gowan's. The knight looked as if he were deep in thought, his green eyes cast a darker shade by the shadow of his large hat. Back on the trail, he said. We've got a few mysteries about us now, my boy. And now we'll see where the pieces fit. Yeah, but where are we going? Where are we headed? Here, said Gowan, reaching into his dusk jacket's pocket. He pulled a tired-looking map out that might have been a hundred years old. Keep it for a while. Our projected path is outlined. Familiarize yourself with it. Thanks, Brick said, catching the map clumsily with his hand. How's the arm? Itches. Gowan laughed. Good. That means you're healing. 